0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. You know what that music means. Greg Wyshynski has a very, very shiny brand new contract from ESPN. Mm. Along with Arda Ocal as well, we should point out too. What's up, Daddy Warbucks, Richie Rich?
0: Yeah, I know. They just started passing out uh, contracts to everyone at the network who looks like the Ukrainian president. Uh, so it's very exciting <laughs> for me and Arda.
1: Greg <laughs> <laughs> Zielinski with us here on the, uh, program.
0: I thank <laughs> Greg for taking
1: time out of his very busy schedule to talk a little bit of, uh, of hockey with us here. Um, I always love when you do the awards and I want to get to those here in a couple of moments because I never think yeah. it's too early to start musing about awards. I love it. Like do it every two weeks. I don't, I don't care. I, I absolutely love it. But, um, there's some, there's some hot-button issues going around the NHL right now, and a lot of them revolve around uh, certain Canadian teams, but um, not exclusive, to. Uh, let me ask you about one that's certainly salient for the uh, Philadelphia Flyers market, and the Philadelphia Flyers is San Jose's first victims, and now these suddenly red-hot San Jose Sharks are facing off against <laughs> the Oilers on Thursday, looking to put a nail in the coffin um, after their motivational speech from Mike Greer. Um... I don't know if it's going to blow up is too strong a way to describe this, but do you have a thought on this? We've seen a lot of players scratched and benched. Like coaches are getting at it early, Uh, but does it not feel like this Morgan Frost thing in Philadelphia is ready to explode?
0: It could. Yeah. Especially with what Tortorella said last night, (laughs) or I mean, very curtly talking about Frost's (laughs) absence from the, uh, from the lineup for sure. Yeah. Um, by the way, didn't you miss the old torts last night? My God, like, I know that we've all come to grips with the fact that the man has reformed himself ever since the uh, Vancouver debacle. He's a sweater vest wearing, uh, kind lover of animals. Uh, but if you could have given me 2012 torts last night after giving the San Jose Sharks, like, which are like oh, one step no. above an expansion team, their first win, my God, it would have been great. It would have been the most memeable thing of the season. But alas, I was watching that press conference, man, and he was just like, you know, coming. We played well. We it was good. I'm happy for Mackenzie Blackwood. Who is this man? I was very disappointed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who are you, and what have you done with the real John Tortorella? This is not John Tortorella. Uh, I, yeah. I know it was. Uh, it, it was definitely a a, a weird one here. Well, let, let's just pause on that because you mentioned the San Jose Sharks and. Uh, you know, they look remind us of you know a traditional expansion team because expansion teams now win pretty much right away. Because I I think that you know when the, when the great when the great book is written about what really went a, a long way to increase franchise values in the NHL, there needs to at least be a chapter on how they redid expansion rules and what you get in expansion because all of a sudden. Vegas paid a lot of money for their team, and they were successful. And that meant that Seattle paid a lot of money for their team, and they were successful. And the cascading effect was, well, if Seattle is worth this, Mr. And Lauer, this is what the Ottawa Senators are worth. And I think the whole thing comes right back to when they change the rules for expansion and what you get. I mean, I can see Columbus and Minnesota and Nashville saying, really, really? We had to struggle all this time. Meanwhile, Vegas gets this and (laughs) Seattle gets this and we'll see what happens. Like, do you not think that, you know, there's some really profound dates in the NHL. And one of the big ones has to be when they when they when they change the expansion draft
0: rules. That's got to be a huge chapter. Without question. I was thinking about the Ottawa team. That's one of those teams that, like, is in contention for worst of all time. That the sharks are in, gonna be inevitably in the conversation for, although we'll talk about that in a second. And you know, remember the like they were ended up with guys like Troy Millette and Peter Sadorkovich and players like that. And I mean you that to the best how one. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you compare that to how the Golden Knights and the Kraken were set up, and it's like it's apples and oranges. Do you by the way, before I get to the Sharks currently, do you remember Yeah. why the Sharks were terrible in year two? They had a they had a worse points percentage. In year two, than they had in year one, which I thought was really curious. I was wondering if you remembered that.
1: Eesh, uh, top of my head, that's no, what I'm saying. I don't.
0: Yeah, it's they regressed in year uh, two, which I thought was kind of a weird thing. Maybe, maybe I mean, I guess they maybe even lost some of their. or were they exempt from the expansion draft that populated the the senators and uh, who was in that first group? Was it the the, the duckies or I don't the know, panthers? Off the, off the top the of I no, no, no. I, was, I uh, thought
1: it no, was panthers, panthers. 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 Panthers and Panthers and Anaheim came in together because, remember, it was Disney was going to make the movies and Blockbuster was going to rent them. Right. Right? That's That's the the way it was going to go. It was (laughs) (laughs) Blockbuster and Disney coming into the NFL. They staggered
0: staggered the Sharks and the Senators. That's right. Hey, so about this Sharks team, um, I was trying to figure out if they were going to end up being the worst team of all time. We talked about it on The Drop this week, the idea that they were going to be even worse. Worse than the uh, Capitals in the expansion era. They might, but here, here's the last night reminded me of why that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for three reasons. The first is that goaltending is always going to be the great equalizer, and say what you will about Mackenzie Blackwood, but he's good for one of those kinds of games, maybe once every three weeks. Uh, so, so he'll get you a couple dubs here and there. The other thing pa- pause is pause on that...
1: that for one second. Pause on that for yeah, one please. second. Do you not think someone's going to come shopping for Mac Black by the time the trade deadline rolls around?
0: Yeah, one would, one would assume that the, anything that has a pulse is going to be available from the San Jose Sharks, provided they can <laughs> you know fit the contract <laughs> under their cap structure. Um, point two yeah. is that when they do get a sniff of victory, that old itch starts itching, that old itch called pride, professional pride. You know, they, you watch them at the end of that game. And like I said last night on, on Twitter, it's, it was pr- like watching the worst game seven imaginable uh, between two inept teams. And what was on the line was not the Stanley Cup, but winning an <laughs> NHL game for the first time. Um, they played really well towards the end. Like they, they wanted to win. And when you get into that situation, you're a professional. The players don't tank. The teams tank. There's going to be times in which they get close to victory. And then they end up winning because they had that old itch of pride. And the third thing is, this might be the most important thing. Uh, I'm reminded watching the Flyers last night that there are 31 other teams in this league, America. Can you believe it? 31 other teams. And many of those wow, teams. Wow, how do we get here? Well, uh, how do we get here? Many of those teams, while not nearly, as, as my friend Ray Ratto put it, are uh, the uh, flaming bag of dog poo that are the San Jose Sharks. Many of those teams are bad. And many of those teams are also rebuilding, and so you're going to have opportunities for San Jose to beat a Philadelphia, mm-hmm. to beat a Montreal, to beat some of these teams that are, are not good. And uh, because of that, I, I do wonder if they're going to be slightly head above water when it comes to the Capitals and the that Ottawa team and the the second year Senators. In so far as uh, uh, you know, uh, the worst of all time.
1: Let me just uh, let me just have a look here at something really, really quickly. Oh, he's um, doing it, folks. It's a, 19, the 1964 starting power play.
0: He's done it before.
1: No, no, no. I, I just the, the, here's here's the thing that I think ultimately will undo the San Jose Sharks and any. You know any visions they have of winning, and that's the blue line. And if we go back, like, oh, listen, there was terrible. nothing on that Washington oh, Capitals team, right? Like, it's it's real bad. Like, God bless you, Ron Lowe. Like, there's a special place in heaven for Ron Lowe, uh, whether it's for the the work with the um, uh, with the Washington Capitals or um, or with the uh, the New Jersey Devils. Inspiring symmetry,
0: the Mickey there's Mouse a, meme
1: exactly that was because that ron lowe was wayne gretzky's buddy and playing on the team and he was upset about ron lowe so who referred to the new jersey devils as a mickey mouse team ron lowe was the the main goaltender that 74 75 team um but it was the it was it was the, it's the it's the blue line like if you want to do sort of compare one to the other compare the blue lines uh of of both and still san jose like bless them bless bless the san jose sharks and i want to get to my career here in a couple of seconds But you're going into a season with Mario Ferraro, who I actually really do Mm. like, Uh, Ty Emberson, Mark Edward Vlasic uh, at this point (laughs) of his career, Kyle Burrows, Nikita Ohochuk, and Jan Ruta. That is your blue line. That is an Jan NHL Ruda, by, R- 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 blue line. I would love to. Grand, I would love Grand
0: to Grand know Shins what was student. going on with Jan Ruda last night. Jan Ruda was like an honorary Kachuk last night with the way that he was acting around the Flyers. It was crazy. <laughs> but again, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he, yeah. it's that, that's that. That's modicum of pride he was probably feeling. This is a man who's hoisted the Stanley Cup twice, I believe, that is playing on what could be the worst but uh, team in NHL history. Yeah,
1: that's that's a, the the great line from Pulp Fiction, right? With uh, with Bruce Willis. That's just pride effing with you. <laughs> you may think about not going down in the sixth, but that's just pride effing with you.
0: <laughs> right, and, exa- and on most on most nights the they're Jose gonna sharks. they're gonna bring out the gimp for the sharks. So you gotta you know take them as you can get them. <laughs> for if you're on Jan Ruda.
1: You just said this. We're we're just trying to put people in the building here. Like send for the gimp. Like we're trying to figure out ways they are gonna get some fans <laughs> in San Jose. Everyone's a costume party. Everyone's dressed as empty seats. Like okay, let's get some. Maybe your answer, bring out the gimp,
0: might be oh uh, the obvious one here. Um, how? how okay. so, you, and, you and I have both he, he, seen. Hold on. You and I have both seen that arena rocking and rolling, man. It was. It's. It really kind of bought it home. It's great like, how where that franchise yeah. is last night when you're watching Flyers, Sharks, and the, the Sharks might win their first game, and you're looking around at the at the screen, and it's just like it looks like intermission at that place. So I was so sad. Like we got We they, they've got to tank correctly so they can reinvigorate that market because that market's awesome when it's rocking.
1: Uh, it really is. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure somewhere in the back of everywhere's mind right now, they're, they're looking at, okay, at the end of this, at the end of this road, uh, as I'm now referring to him as Macklin celebration, like that's what they're looking at. Macklin <laughs> celebration, ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's the, that's the prize here. Macklin <laughs> celebration. Um, but you know, getting there is going to be really bad, but part of me is looking at like, you know, Mike Greer, you know, we all know the general manager is rare. The GM goes to address the team. Um, but there it was, and Mike Greer talked about things that he would not tolerate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but this is the team that he's put together. Like, there's Make no mistake about it. This team was constructed not to be competitive. Now, players are competitive. They're never going to throw it. Coaches are competitive. They're not going to throw it either. Teams are constructed in a certain way to get a desired result. Now, are we not maybe just splitting the finest of hairs here when Mike Greer goes into that room to talk about this team being bad is he, in essence, saying, look, I created this monster to be bad, but not this bad? Like, yeah. is part of this Mike Greer kind of scolding himself?
0: Yeah, of course it is, man. He's like, the, "There's the, it's that scene in every sci-fi movie where the mad scientist looks out his window at the monster marauding the city and goes, my God. What have I done? What have I done? <laughs>
1: yes. And that's it's essentially the, what it's, Mike Greer has done. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's mary Mary shelley's frankenstein that's what we're looking at here it's mary Shelley. what have i done
0: where have i done he did too well he did too well and so um you know you're right i mean like essentially essentially he's he's done an amazing job in in creating uh the perfect organism for failure uh and it's become too perfect
1: it has. You know what else is perfect? Watching this uh, Carolina game last night against the uh, against the Buffalo Sabres. I want a little opine off the top of the show about a great play by Jacob Slavin in that overtime. But um, at the end, it's this combination of Sebastian Ajo and Martin Natchez, who, with all due respect to Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, they may be the most exciting players in overtime. Those two, right? and maybe most specifically, Martin Natchez might be the best three on three player. In the world right now.
0: I completely agree. Did you watch like, that last I said, night? It was incredible. It's inc- and he's got such a knack for it. As soon as that game went to the three-on-three, I said to myself, okay, just a- add another point in the standings for the for the Carolina Hurricanes because <laughs> he's got such a knack for it. Um, and, again, like, you watch – you know, I was thinking about – when I was watching that, I was thinking about, like, all the complaints about the three-on-three. And people still to this day are just like, ah, the gimmicks run its course. It's boring. It's, uh, it's predictable, and yada, yada, yada. And then you watch a team like the Hurricanes operate uh, in the three-on-three, and you're just like, no, no, they're still, they're still razzle-dazzle. There's still room to grow. It's not all just predictable, man. And, and, uh, and Natchez is a great example of that.
1: You want to hear a great one? I should have tweeted this last night. I didn't want to be snide. Um, the thing about Martin Natchez scoring against the Buffalo Sabres in overtime if you go back to the 2017 draft all right that was the that was the player that the Buffalo Sabres all wanted like all the scouts like that was the one that they agreed on mm-hmm. and then there was an audible called at the table and they went with Casey Middlestat. both uh and Middlestat started <sighs> in that overtime, and Slavin made the great play to keep the Sabres on the ice, and Middlestat was bagged, and Tuck was bagged, and Owen Powers' tongue was hanging out, and here comes Martin Natchez, but that was the one. That was, that was the guy
0: I that remember, the Buffalo Sabres the and old, all
1: the scouts wanted at that draft.
0: Remember on the old, the, on the old show, the only, the only stock I owned more of than in Casey Middlestat was in uh, Pavel Zaka. <laughs> and neither neither of those guys have necessarily actualized as the players I assumed they would be when they were drafted. <laughs>
1: Well, you mentioned the Sarnia's thing a couple of seconds ago, and that was Zach was a proud member of the Sarniest thing once Once upon a time. Thank you very much. The whole thing sort of comes together here on the uh, on the radio property. Um, you want to have a whack at the, uh, the Jack Campbell piñata here? Like, how do you read Edmonton right now? It's like, who thought that we'd see the Edmonton Oilers dueling with the San Jose Sharks for 32nd in the NHL on November the
0: 8th? Okay, so... The first on Jack Campbell, like I, I, it's very interesting to me to see the reaction to this vis-a-vis Ken Holland, because I think Ken Holland's done a pretty good job overall as the GM of the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, the Eckholm the deal, getting Kane, building out the supporting cast, sometimes maybe too much in service of McDavid. But but overall, I think he's built a pretty good team. But the malfeasance in the goaltending department is going to ultimately define his tenure in Edmonton and the Jack Campbell one's a tough one to that end because like you can quibble about the money that he received. There might've been people that did it at the time, especially those who watched him in the second half of that of his last season in Toronto. But I don't know if there was a whole hell of a lot of people who looked at Jack Campbell and, and said this guy will be a disruptive force for the Edmonton goaltending, consider that its current state. I think a lot of us, the vast majority of us, saw him as a stabilizing force for the Edmonton goaltending. And, and so Holland's whiff on this, and make no mistake, it's a gigantic miss, one of the worst free agent signings of the last decade, is probably also our miss in assuming that Campbell could handle that role and, and, and maybe it's the, you know, in Toronto, it was always like his, the knock on him was like he would take losses really, really badly. Well, then you go to Edmondson and now you're taking losses really, really badly in that in that particular media market. And now you have the weight of two seasons of Stanley Cup expectations on your shoulders versus the expectation of can you win a playoff series in Toronto? Um, the other thing I want to say about the Oilers, though, dude, is that like looking under the hood. Of this team, McDavid's right. It is death by a thousand cuts. Like it, they seem to lose in almost a different way every game, um, but the underlying numbers still point to them being okay. Staffleets and, and Megan Chaka shared a stat with me um, this morning, which I thought was really interesting. So McDavid is first in the NHL in primary assists that lead to shots on goal. Okay. He's 182nd in primary assists that lead two goals. And that's after being second in primary assists last season. So if you needed any indication that Connor, despite 10 points in nine games after 23 points in 10 games last season, is still making it happen, even though I'm probably all a little bit concerned about the health, it's that stat. I mean, like, he's setting guys up. They're just not finishing. And so if the problem... Offensively, which is a completely different conversation than the goaltending I know, is that their their shooting percentage is, is completely off from last season, which if you look at NHL edge mm-hmm. is the case all over the offensive zone. That'll actualize. That'll get to where it needs to be. I'm I'm convinced that I believe that you know, yeah, their shot metrics are good and you'd expect the goals to come at some point, and it's impossible for them not to when you look at their, their underlying numbers. And then the other thing about them too, Merrick, I was talking to somebody at the rink yesterday when I was uh, at Red Wings practice. And is there a team that's outside the playoff picture right now that you'd have more faith in putting together 10 straight wins or, you know, winning 14 to 15? I mean, like, they finished last season winning, like, what was it, like 16 to 19 games? I, 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 I don't think the story's completely written on the Oilers yet this season. I think they've got another chapter in them.
1: The problem is all of it gets undone with the goaltending, though. It like does. I'm with you. Like I think the shooting percentage. I think the shooting percentage is going to improve. Um, I, I think they'll be able to score more goals. The problem is bad goaltending undoes all of it.
0: But do we assume that Stuart and, Skinner's going to be and, a, and, a negative seven in goal differential all season? Like he's played poorly through a month, but but there's no. It's not another realm of possibility that he pulls his game together. We've seen it before.
1: Um, well, and we've also seen major sophomore slumps for players. It's true. Not just goaltenders, but defensemen and forwards as well. Like a lot of this is, is, is winging a prayer and just sort of cross your fingers and throw the salt and hope that Stuart Skinner, you know, turns into that goaltender that the Oilers had for, you know, for the majority of last season. I don't know that that, when you have Stanley Cup aspirations is the wise thing to do especially considering well, and I I always find this fun I always find it weird too that Ken Holland himself was a goaltender yet the <laughs> one area that they've had the most problems with under Ken Holland is the goaltending position um like you know, it's it's funny because you you have all these conversations, and this morning I had a conversation with someone. that led me down a it led me down a a, a certain a certain wormhole. And let's see where this where this conversation takes us, because oh. uh, everyone's sort of looking like, okay, if the Edmonton Oilers are going to go out and go shopping, you know, we talked about Mac Black in San Jose a couple of seconds ago. Could that be someone that Ken Holland has on his radar? Do we think for a second that the Calgary Flames? Would actually do a deal with the Edmonton Oilers and maybe do something with a Minder there. Maybe the Buffalo Sabers do something there. And then our conversation turned around to the Boston Bruins. Now, Lina allmark has a 16-team no-trade. I would imagine. Sorry, Canada. I'm assuming every Canadian team's on <laughs> that no-trade list <laughs> for 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 Lina, Lina Salmarck. But like just for <laughs> just for giggles, that's what it, t- it took me down this this one path and. The one thing that was interesting, I always find stuff like this fascinating. You and I talked about this with Boston and Buffalo with Danny Paillet on the old podcast. The one thing that I always find interesting is which teams won't general managers do deals with? Like you can understand like Montreal Canadiens and Quebec Nordiques, like they weren't doing deals. You can understand that historically the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers, like they weren't doing deals. Like bitter, bitter rivals are not doing deals with one another. And if you look at Ken Holland's track record in Detroit, and I have a theory on this, Ken Holland's track record in Detroit, he didn't do deals with the Boston Bruins. As a matter of fact, the Detroit organization with Mike under Mike Illich when he was uh, still alive didn't do deals with the Boston Bruins. So here's the last one we could find. The last Boston-Detroit trade while well, Mike Gillich was still alive, was 1994. Now, Eiserman tried to trade. Stop everybody. Yes, Steve Eiserman traded Tyler Bertuzzi to the Boston Bruins last season. But mm-hmm. the last trade was 1994. You remember it, Greg, like it was yesterday. The old Vincent Riendo to, from Detroit to the Boston Bruins, a fifth-round draft pick going the other way. Now, the theory, and I, I believe this, although I don't have anyone that can confirm it yet, But there is very much the belief that because of the Martin LaPointe signing, which Detroit was like priced out right away, that Mike Illich, and I don't know, maybe when Ken Holland retires, who can confirm this one. I'm of the belief that the order was we don't deal with the Boston Bruins. That because of that, because you look at Ken Holland's track record, and he was in Detroit for a long time, 1997 no trades with the Boston Bruins. I have to think, and it would fit the MO of the Detroit Red Wings yeah. to, to be like that. It's like, okay, they're pissed off at the Marty LaPointe signing, no deals with the Boston Bruins. Just like we won't retire Sergei Fedorov's number because of the, because of the offer sheet, just because of whatever reason, and no one's given me a solid reason yet, um, You know, we're going to unretire Larry Ori's number. Although no one wears number six. We're going to unretire it, but no one can wear it. It's just a number that doesn't exist for the Detroit Redway. It would be very much on brand if that were true. And then I talked to someone else this morning who mentioned that there was a belief that... After that, LaPointe signing, one of the BOGs that Jeremy Jacobs and Mike Illich got into it as, a, as well. So anyway, that's yeah. one of the rabbit holes that I went down just thinking about the Oilers and goaltending and looking around the league. And as much as there might be speculation about the Boston Bruins, first of all, I don't think they want to give up on Jeremy Swayman. Heck, he might be the goalt- best goaltender in the NHL right now. Apologies, Thatcher Demko in Vancouver. And I think Linus Allmark has, uh, has put up the big Heisman for all of Canada. I believe. Anyhow, but that's the, so, that's the goalie wormhole I went down this morning.
0: I mean, I do like the idea of these two titans of hockey industry basically like having heat. And that's the reason why deals don't get Illich done. Illich Jacobs? But, yeah, absolutely. Now, you bring up Swayman and Allmark, and I think this is the essential problem for the Edmonton Oilers, which is that you are in search of the most precious resource in the National Hockey League, which is goaltending depth oh, yeah. at this point in the league. And so, like, yeah, like, would yeah. Scott Wedgwood help you? Of course he would. But the stars aren't giving him up. And, and sure, like, would Old yeah. or Swayman help you? Of course they would. But the Boston Bruins are in first place, and they're in first place based on the fact that they have a Jim Montgomery coached team with, two, uh, with the best goalie tandem in the league. So you've got to not only blue like, line as well. Give to get. well blue, blue line has been great. Blue line, blue, blue line line's has been, been great for uh, Boston. Uh, team. Listen, I don't, the I don't blue want... line has been great, but the the goal, dude. Look at his time in Dallas. Like all he does is make goaltending the yeah. concrete foundation for everything a team does, and that's why I thought there wasn't going to be any fall off from Boston this year. I mean, uh, granted, like I don't think they're going to be whatever the hell point told they were last year, but there's not going to be fall off insofar as not making the playoffs. Um, so you got to convince someone to trade you. Their, somebody from their tandem, th- thus, thus weakening their team, and then you also have to give to get. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this question. Let's say Carter Hart's healthy. Is Calvin Bigger okay. the new Jordan Binnington? Well, it's Cal- or, or, or the new Aiden Hill. Uh, is, let's say Carter Hart is healthy. okay? Oh, uh, yeah. Danny Berier, I know where you're going. Danny Breer <laughs> comes knocking on your door, and he's like, Kenny, I got this guy Carter Hart. Real good goalie. You're going to love him. And he can be yours, For the low, low price of Evan Bouchard, the trade is one for one. Do you make it if you're Edmonton?
1: I have that conversation, and then, hang on, hang on, then you know what I do? I'm glad you brought this up, because I've thought of this scenario as well. I have that conversation with Ken Holland, and when I hang up my phone, the next person I call is Rob Blake. (laughs) and I say, this is what I have from Edmonton for Carter Hart. Last time I checked, you guys play each other in the playoffs every year. You're probably pretty sick of losing to him, right? I'm talking about Evan Bouchard with Edmonton. Opening bid is Brant Clark Plus. All right.
0: What do you want to do? (laughs) Now we're cooking. I like it. And now we're cooking, right? That's, exactly. That's that, what now, I do
1: if I'm if I'm the now. Now Danny
0: Briere is uh, you know Brad Pitt and Moneyball. He's working the phones. He's putting <laughs> GM versus GM. It's all very exciting. <laughs> he's the he's the Dubis meme with all the phones. All yeah, the but listen stuff. let's let's say let's say LA says no thanks because <laughs> I mean they've been very very reticent to to even discuss dealing uh, Clark away. Um, let's say it's Bouchard and Hart. Like, are you convinced now, having seen Bouchard? this season a little bit, that the, the, the lack of, of defensive play on his behalf, is that young defenseman or is it a, a, a systemic flaw in his game?
1: I think part of all of this with all the defensemen, and I think injuries might be an issue with Matthias home right now, but I think that mm-hmm. and young defenseman will feel this perhaps the most. I think that the Oilers looked at what made the Boston Bruins successful in the regular season last year, what made the Vegas Golden Knights successful in the playoffs and said, we need to do more of that. And I think Mm -hmm. even that tiny little systematic change in structure and how they play has affected Mm -hmm. a lot of players and perhaps most notably their blue liners and perhaps defensively, most notably Evan Bouchard.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing about that, their underlying numbers, I think, they're like 15th in the league in, in expected goals against right now at five on five or in that neighborhood. But like, the problem with Edmonton is that the mistakes they make—it's like one of these teams where every mistake they make ends up in the back of the net, and that's a function of their goaltending being terrible, but also a function of like they make the worst mistakes. <laughs> like they make these these unconscionable mistakes uh, where you know you know Bouchard's twirling around doing pirouettes in his own zone. Uh, and watching guys turnstile them, <laughs> and uh, and it's just it's it's, yeah. it's inexplicable how bad they've been defensively too.
1: Uh, it's been uh, it's been real tough to watch. Um, I don't even know if I have any time for awards. W- what's standing out for you right now at the uh, whether it's the heart, the Norris, the Calder uh, for well, the uh, awards at this point of the season? What's jumping out for you? For,
0: for, first of all, I will defend doing awards watch this early because honestly, this is where narratives are cemented. And, and they can be cemented pretty quickly. For example, we came into the season ready to award the Norris to Miro Hiskinen because he's great and he hasn't won one yet. And then within the first week and a half of the yeah. season, Quinn Hughes market corrected him. Hughes in our we, we, we <laughs> have over over two dozen voters that we have their ballots, and Hughes has the largest lead of any award uh, in the first month of the season. Like for the for the Norris, like he's been he's been that good. I was also really intrigued by. Yeah. Um, the Jack Adams because, like, uh, it could be one of these years where somebody who's leading their team to the, to the top of the division or the top of the conference wins it. Now, Montgomery won it last year, but I think he also won it last year because he took the Bruins from, like, last defensively to, like, first defensively. But, like, Cassidy might win it if the Golden Knights keep cruising. That's a possibility. But the, the one that I think everybody's going to be keeping an eye on is Tockett because – not only is Tocic going yep. to, in theory, take a team that was outside the playoffs and put him in, but he also has the thing that you need to win the Jack Adams, which is tangible effects. Things you can point to and say, this man did something. Taking a team that was bad defensively yeah. and making it good defensively, you did something. That's the story. Calling them soft in That's game three, story. you did something. S- uh, benching JT Miller, <laughs> you did something. Oh, and by the way, the broadcasters voted the Jack Adams. One of us. One of us. That's why talk is
1: going to win it. <laughs> TNT, that's right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, you know what it's going to be, and we'll, we'll end on this one because we have Mike, Mike Vernon coming up here on the other side. Ooh. Um, what it's going to be is it's going to be a full vancouver canucks sweep it's going to be Elias peterson with the art ross and the Hart. it's going to be quinn hughes with the norris it's going to be thatcher demko for the vesna it's going to be brock besser with the rocket richard it's going to be jt miller with the selkie and it's going to be rick Tockett with the jack mm. adams it is going to be a clean clean sweep by the vancouver canucks to I... which greg wischinski says what
0: Real quick, I, my, I'll stand by my prediction, which is that Elias Pettersson is going to win the Selkie as the uh, someone else is winning MVP. But we're going to give you the MVP by giving you this award, Ryan O'Reilly honorarium. That's my prediction.
1: (laughs) It is a Patrice Bergeron-less world right now, so the Selkie is wide open. Uh, Start to redefine it as you see fit. Uh, Okay, Wish, we'll talk in seven days. Uh, Check out Greg's latest at uh, ESPN.com, and again, congrats on the new contract. Looks great on you you. and uh, that fine outfit from Bristol, Connecticut. Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon.
0: Take care, everybody.